Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. Friends, we have been, uh, for the last several months, we've been in a sermon series in the book of Exodus, and we are going to pick that back up next week. Uh, Willie Addison, our brother, will be preaching, uh, picking back up where we left off in Exodus. But we're going to take uh, another pause uh, here today to talk about Christmas and to talk about uh, really the turning of the page into a new year. You know, here at the last sermon of the year, we're going to re- reflect for a moment on time. As we turn the the calendar page from one year to the next, as we mark the passing of time, it's it's an appropriate time to ask, where are we going? Right? Where is a time moving? Is there any order to history? Is there any order to the passing of the years? Or do they just go one to the next by chance without telling a coherent story? There's different views, of course, in the world on what time is and how it works. Uh, The Eastern view of time uh, held uh, by areas of the world influenced by Eastern religion is essentially that time is cyclical, right? That time is a wheel that repeats itself over and over again, that we are bound to continue to repeat our history over and over, right? That if you put bad thoughts, bad actions, bad things into the world, that it comes back on you inevitably this life and in future lives, We have a remnant of this view, uh, even in Western culture, where you hear that, you know, history repeats itself, right? That we do just continue to play out the same stories over and over again in our history. Probably the, the main late modern view of time is that time is just chaos, right? That there is no ordering to time. Right, that the uh, the strong prosper, the weak are, are snuffed underfoot, uh, and that life is essentially left to chaos and chance. Is 2021 going to be better than 2020? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Uh, maybe it seems hard uh, to imagine it being worse, but time is left to chance. But what do the scriptures say? What is going on in time? How should we look at the ordering of time? And to look at that, I want to look. Uh, in a passage from Galatians chapter 4, where Paul speaks uh, about time and where it's all headed. So if you would, let's stand for the reading of God's word as we pay attention to his voice. A reading from Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. You can be seated. Do you hear that little phrase that Paul uses? When the fullness of time had come, when time itself had reached its fulfillment. And so in Paul's imagination and in the the world of the scriptures, time is headed somewhere. That time is not uh, left to chance. It's not as uh, Shakespeare puts on the lips of Macbeth famously, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. Right? It's not uh, a tale told by an idiot. It's a tale being written by a good author. It's a tale being told by a loving God. It's a building being built by a master architect who's leading it somewhere. And Paul tells us here that that time was all building up to what happened in Bethlehem. What we sang about on Christmas Eve, what we sang about this morning, that all of human history was leading up to the birth of Jesus. He says that all of life up until then was a life marked by slavery. He said it was a slavery to the elementary principles of the world. It was a slavery that Paul uh, himself, who grew up a faithful Israelite, could say that even though we knew God, even though we were living under the law of God, that it was still a slavery. It was a slavery to a law that he could never keep. It was a slavery to something he could never measure up to. And it was no different fundamentally from the slavery uh, that his Greek and Roman neighbors lived under, a slavery to, to superstition, a slavery to their many gods. And he said all of it, uh, this slavery led up to the coming of the Son, the coming of the one that Paul tells us was born of a woman and born under the law. So according to the scriptures, history is moving somewhere. That God is moving history in a set direction. A direction uh, that culminates in the coming of Christ and that for us, as we get caught up in what he's doing, moves us from a life of bondage and slavery into a life of being God's own sons and daughters. How does that work? Paul tells us, and this is just one of the better uh, short summaries of the incarnation anywhere in the Bible. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman and born under the law. What does this mean that Christ was born of a woman and born under the law? Well, born of a woman on the one hand simply means that he was born like the rest of us are born. Uh, That he was born from the womb of a human mother. That he came about uh, in an ordinary birth. I remember we we were watching, uh, just before Christmas, we were watching a a more recent TV show, uh, a little Christmas special where he's telling the nativity story. We're watching it with my kids, and as Mary was in labor and crying out, I remember uh, my youngest son going, why why does she seem to be hurting? Mom, does it hurt uh, to have a baby? Like, oh man, this is going to be a longer conversation, but okay. Uh, and then uh, Jesus comes out, and why is he all red and yelling? What's, what, you know, in the nativity, he's happy, and he's just sitting there. Are babies upset when they're born? Why is he bloody? And he, yes, and I love this, because he was born like the rest of us. Uh, he was born uh, just as frail and as weak and as small as any other human infant. He was born through ordinary labor, born of a woman. Of course, this points to a deeper theological truth 
This language of being born of a woman harkens all the way back to Genesis 3, where immediately after sin enters the world, when God uh, finds Adam and Eve and their shame and their guilt, after having eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when he pronounces the judgment on Adam and Eve and on the serpent, he says uh, to Eve, to the woman, uh, that her seed, remember this, the seed of the woman, will do battle with the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the serpent will strike at his heel and he will crush his head. Right, that the entire story of God's redemptive history from the first pages of the Old Testament all the way up into the New is the story of the seed of the woman, God's people, uh, men and women seeking to live in faithfulness to God, doing battle with the forces of evil, constantly tempted, constantly feeling their own weakness and their own waywardness and their own sin, right? But that one would come, one would come of woman who would crush the head of evil once and for all. And so Jesus, God, was born man because it had to be one of these ordinary seeds of the woman, a human being, flesh of our flesh, bone of our bones, to do battle with our greatest enemy, sin and evil and death and the person of Satan. So he was born of a woman and he was born under the law. Next week, uh, as we continue in Exodus, we're going to find the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, where they are given God's moral law. God comes down onto the mountain in thunder and in smoke, and he gives the law to them, his Ten Commandments. Right? And what happens as soon as they get the Ten Commandments? Even if, you, you know, if you're, I don't know how familiar we are with the Bible story, but even if you've only, you know, seen the movies about Moses, right? You've seen the story where Charlton Heston comes down off the mountain, and as soon as he's got the Ten Commandments, he sees Israel worshiping a false god. Right? The story of God's law is the story of our constant breaking of it. God says don't commit adultery and we find our hearts constantly tempted by lust. God says don't murder and we find ourselves constantly wrestling with thoughts of anger and hatred. That we all of us live our lives under God's moral law and aware in our bones of how far short of it we fall, of how we sin and wander daily from God's good instructions. And I love this, that God came when he came in the flesh. He himself came under the law. Right? We might think uh, that when God, the offended party, the, ma the holy maker of heaven and earth, when he stepped into human history, it might be uh, to enact justice, right? That it might be to call us to account for all of our sin and all of our wandering and all of our affronts to him. But instead, he doesn't come over the law and over us to judge us. He himself comes under the law. He himself comes as one of us under the same requirements of God's moral law. He himself takes up onto himself what Peter calls in Acts 15, a weight that neither we or our fathers have been able to bear. Right? The, the, the heaviness of God's law. Jesus comes under it and he finds it, instead of a crushing burden, he finds it an easy load to bear because he is perfectly loving, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. Karl Barth says of this passage, a German theologian of the last century, he says, when he says he came under the law, i.e., he stepped into the heart 
of the inevitable conflict between the faithfulness of God and the unfaithfulness of man. He bore it in himself to the bitter end. He took part in it from both sides. He endured it from both sides. He was not only the God who is offended by man, he is also the man whom God threatens with death and who falls a victim to death in the face of God's judgment. Right, that he comes as both God and man, the judge and the judged on the cross. So that the one who was born at Bethlehem could become salvation for us. This is what Paul says next. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. He came to redeem. He came to set free those who lived our lives as slaves to the law and to the elementary principles of this world. He was born for us, his life and his death as our substitute. One of the great uh, little works, uh, little in shortness and uh, brevity, not little in its significance, in Christian history is a book by a man named Athanasius who lived in the third century uh, after Christ, a little book called On the Incarnation. And Athanasius said this about the incarnation of Christ. He said, the unassumed is the unhealed, or that which isn't assumed is not healed. Right? That if Christ, uh, Christ assumed all of our human nature in order to heal all of our human nature, right? all of the parts of us that make humanity so hard, our suffering, our pain, our sorrow, our temptation, that he took all of it on himself so that he could heal all of it in himself so that you and I don't have to live shackled by it. He came to redeem those under the law so that we could receive adoption as God's sons and daughters. One of Athanasius's other little one-liners is that God became what we are so that we might become what he is. That Christ became as we are so that we might become as he is. The son became one under the law so that we could become his sons and daughters. Crying out to him, Abba, Father. Enjoying that same intimate relationship of a child and a father that Jesus himself enjoyed in this life. Crying out, Abba, Father, the adopted child of God, the love of the Trinity opening up to include you and I as sons and daughters of God. So we started out uh, with the question, where is history going? Right? Is, uh, is the progress of time uh, something that is going somewhere or isn't it? Is it getting better or is it getting worse? Is next year going to bring more goodness or more hardship? And the reality is that so much of that uh, exists beyond our knowing, right? Our days are in the hands of God. He alone knows uh, what tomorrow brings or the day after that or the year after that. But what we can know is that the story is going somewhere and that we are either, that we can know for sure whether we are living our lives with the grain of where the universe is going or moving against it. And that is this, the world is moving all things towards fulfillment in Christ. The world is moving from slavery 
into the openness of this offer of free adoption as sons and daughters of God. To live with where the world is going is to cry out, Abba, Father. It's to open ourselves in repentance and faith to Jesus and to be brought in to his life, to be adopted as children of the Father, and to live every day in the midst of the uncertainty of things, in the midst of uh, the seeming chaos of the news cycle, in the midst of turning the page from one year to the next, to say what I can do is to cry out, Abba, Father. What I can do is to find my life and my rest in the one who sent his son in the fullness of time in order to love me, in order to forgive me, in order to gather me to himself. We can trust the God of time and trust our lives into his hands. Because though the story, as Paul says, finds its fulfillment in Christ, it's not done yet. Verse 7, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Right, that if you place your faith in Christ, you have an inheritance that is coming. Right, just as the son uh, is, uh, is moving history towards his revelation, towards setting all things right, towards healing everything that's sick, restoring everything that's broken, healing every bit of this broken world, that we by faith can trust that we are heirs with him in that. Right, that time is moving towards a fulfillment in Christ. And that we can be sure of. That bit we can know. We don't know what tomorrow brings, but we know where the story ends. We know that it ends in the hand of Jesus wiping away every tear from every eye and setting all things right and us in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I confess that uh, life is so often so confusing. Lord, our days of joy and sadness seem mixed. Uh, there's days where it feels like things are going according to plan, and then there's days where it seems uh, like everything is lost. And so, Lord, though this life is so filled uh, with uncertainty, uh, Lord, uh, you are not. You hold our days in your hands, and you are working this world to a joyful conclusion in Christ. Lord, we know, uh, we know that one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. We know that one day uh, the knowledge of the sun will cover the earth as waters cover the seas. Lord, we know that uh, one day every bit of what's broken and hurting and sinful and wayward in us will be healed. Lord Jesus, until that day, help us to live by faith. Lord, until that day, help us to live by faith in the Son who was born in Bethlehem, to the one who came as a servant and who was raised to rule as a king. Lord Jesus, help us to find our hope in your hands. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.